Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hello, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jedekin. And we're back. We are back. With part two. That's right. Um, are we going to thank the patrons first or? Yeah, we can thank our patrons first. We have a Patreon where we provide not only ad-free episodes, but bonus episodes and access to our Discord where you can chat with us personally. Yes. And it's a great way to support the show. If you ever have wanted to support the show, please subscribe to our Patreon. And we have like 300 back episodes, Patreon-only episodes available. That you can start listening to ASAP. And it's actually very easy to do. I just want to stress that I am so bad at technology and it couldn't have been easier to add the Patreons that I subscribe to to my um, RSS feed on my podcast app. Yes. So it is very easy uh, to do. Yeah, I I agree. I'm bad at technology as well, as I'm sure you guys know. But the one of the Patreon, the podcast Patreon I subscribe to, it just, I was able to very easily link it to my pod, the podcast app of my choice. Yeah. So... Just FYI. Yeah, we're going to keep plugging it. What are, what's on the Patreon this week? This week, we, we did a very um, lit after show. It's really long, and we talk a lot about old commercials. Well, we... Right? <laughs> I can't remember. Our after shows are sort of like a more unhinged mini episode. Which is... That's crazy, because sometimes our, our mini episodes lately, I feel like I've been a little... <laughs> They, they kind of have been unhin- more unhinged than usual lately. We, sometimes I see the comments and I'm like, oh my God. People like leave comments on like the Patreon. Because I forget, I forgot what I talked about already within like a, a few days. And then someone's like, regarding, your, <laughs> regarding the story about ghost diarrhea, yeah. I have an experience with that. And I'm like, did we talk about that? Someone described the way I said something. And honestly, something when people talk about the way I say things or sound, I'm always kind of, even if it's complimentary, I'm always like in a tailspin. Yeah. I'm like, I said it that way. Like, right. <laughs> like they thought it was really funny, but I was like, I don't even remember saying it much less that way. Yeah. My brain is like a sieve. Yeah. Anyway, 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 big thank you to everyone who has subscribed to our Patreon. It really does help us out a lot. And we're happy to provide even more unhinged content for you mm. over there. Absolutely. Let's thank Jennifer, Robert, Timothy, Candace, Jill, Heather, Bobby, Rebecca, Kirsten, Stacy, Chris, Muffy, Julia, January, Jonathan, Erica, Tazerjack, Marta, Trish, Emma, Hannah, Julia, Amanda, Ray, Michael, Jen, Esme, Natalie, and Ashley. Thank you all very much. Thanks, guys. 
So as we mentioned up top, we are back for part two of Anne Woodward. Last episode, we discussed her rise from showgirl to socialite, and we ended on her marrying into the powerful Woodward family, much to the dismay of her new husband's mother, Elsie, who from the start declared the marriage doomed. My main source for this is Deliberate Cruelty by Roseanne Montillo. It's actually a really good book if you're looking for something to read. So let's get into it. Post-marriage, Billy and Anne were regulars on the party circuit, going to every social event they could, as well as dining at all of the Manhattan hotspots. Billy had to leave shortly after marriage to go back into the Navy, and it was while he was gone that Anne awaited the birth of their first child, under the watchful eye of her mother-in-law. The couple lived in an apartment on the top floor of their parents' home in Manhattan. Ugh. Which is actually what Elsie did when she married William Sr., it's like this rich person thing. Like you live in the house for a while, which is so awful. That right? sounds really annoying. So this is obviously not great for Anne because Elsie just basically watches her and glares at her. And Anne's kind of like trying to perfect this little socialite homemaker act. She's practicing table setting. She's doing flower arranging. And as Anne's belly grows, so does Elsie's anger. This baby meant that they would always be tied together, even if she could finally get her son to dump Anne. Elsie would often just hide out in her room to avoid interacting with Anne at all. Honestly, (laughs) what is this bitch's problem? Like, isn't she rich enough that... Is she that bored? This is like such an old school um, character archetype. Yeah. This rich bitch, bitter... Mother-in-law, <laughs> like, do you right. know what I mean? Like, who, who's disapproving of her son's wife? Wife, and she clearly could have a very active social life, but she's so and bitter and like enraged by the situation. Like, she can't. It's like when you hate follow someone on social media. Yeah, she's playing herself. <laughs> yes. So when Bi- when Billy returns home from the war, he kind of wants to just jump back into his like party playboy lifestyle. He's actually repulsed by the new maternal Anne. He's also bored with his job at the bank and he does not want to settle down. He wants to just start getting back to carousing. In July of 1944, Anne gives birth to William Woodward III, nicknamed Woody. And four years later, she gives birth to second son, James. They're still living at the parents' house at this point. So this is a long period of time. Now, obviously, Anne wants to get their own place. Billy's in no hurry. After all, this kind of allowed him to still continue going out to drink because he knew Anne was safe at home with his parents and staff to help her. So he didn't have to do it. So he doesn't have to do any of the responsibilities. He just expects her to do everything. Yeah, basically. I mean, they do have a staff. That's nice. But it's like, be a father. Yeah. So Anne finally puts her foot down and Billy agrees to buy a gorgeous Manhattan brownstone. After the home is purchased, Billy immediately goes off on a sailing trip, leaving Anne to set up the house, which is kind of fine with her because this is truly like the realization of all of her dreams, like just to be this wife in the socialite set with this huge Manhattan brownstone. So they're still very much on the social scene. He is obviously more than her, but they do go out as a couple. And they soon add a mansion on Long Island's North Shore to their residence. And 
their residences. Anne refers to this home as the playhouse, and it's where they go on the weekends. This is um, the Gold Coast, the North Shore of Long Island, famous from the Great Gatsby. It's where all the rich people buy these huge fucking uh, mansions. So Anne has fully embraced this life of a wealthy socialite, but with money and status came the whispers and gossip. The secret of Anne's previous relationship with Billy's father somehow got out, and people loved to discuss how the Woodward men just kept it in the family. Honestly, if I heard that piece <laughs> of gossip, I would be vibrating. It's that pretty is a, juicy. That is a hot piece of gossip. Now, Anne was still of the mind that these guys are a bunch of hypocrites. Like, all of your husbands are fucking all of these showgirls, and like everyone's having an aff- affairs. Um, But she doesn't have any close friends in this rich bitch circle. So she doesn't really have anyone to show her the ropes. Uh, So she's alone navigating an extremely tricky social scene by herself. She just really focuses in on becoming one of them. She takes elocution and etiquette lessons and becoming one of them becomes her full-time job. The more she does that, though, the more she loses all of the qualities that Billy found so enchanting about her initially, and he slowly begins to think that it was all just a con on Anne's part to land him. She tricked him into falling for her only to become the thing that he hated. One thing that she did keep was her more sexy style. Anne does make the best dress list often, whatever those lists come out. She's like on on them. But this is one area Billy resents her for not changing. He would often insult her in front of others, one time telling her in front of other people at a party that she was flirting like a hooker, which honestly sounds amazing. (laughs) I think we should all do that. This guy's such a drag. (laughs) Yeah, so that's like one thing he liked about her that she didn't change, and even that he is kind of critical of. So eventually she starts dressing more subdued and just kind of fully falls in line. Now, as Billy's carousing gets more and more frequent, so do their fights. Even Anne's sexual expertise begins to bore Billy, who is finding more adventurous young women to fuck on the side. He begins having an affair with another society fixture, Princess Marina Torlonia. So she she can't do a little bit of flirting at a party and dressing a little slutty, but he can fuck Princess Tortellini? Exactly. (laughs) And like... Yeah. I mean, basically, that's how all the women are. It's like men can have affairs, but if a woman does anything, that's a different story. He wants a divorce because he's in love with Princess Tortellini and his parents approve. Uh, The need for a divorce escalates when Marina leaves her husband and Billy becomes physically abusive to Anne at this point. (gasps) So their fights have escalated to physical abuse now. Like Anne has bruises on her body like that her doctors will see. And of course, no one uh, does anything or says anything. She began seeing a doctor for migraines, insomnia and depression because this is so devastating to her. The idea of losing this life and Billy. Um, but Did it she seems, sign a prenup? Well, we'll get into some of the financials. So do they even have prenups back then? I'm sure. I mean, there's a lot of tricky financial stuff going on here. I'm sure maybe they were called something else. Yes, because I think one of the things is technically Billy doesn't even have money, really. It's his family's money. So he probably has like a trust yeah. that's not technically his do you know how Yet. that works kind of stuff? Like well, that kind of stuff? It like, depends it depends how when like how old he is and when the trust is like yeah, given to him. Yeah. So it's like So it is his money. 
if right. he has a trust set up for him. I don't know that he does. I don't know exactly what the situation is. But I know that the parents are still footing the bill for everything. So in September of 1948, they officially separate. And Anne hires a very tenacious divorce attorney named Saul Rosenblatt. And he immediately instructs her to not let the Woodward see the children. Now, unbeknownst to Anne at this point, Billy changes his will. um, And he's determined to make sure she gets as little as possible if anything happens to him. Uh, In December, Billy officially asks for a divorce. She resists, and the Woodwards offer her $2 million to sign the divorce papers. She doesn't accept the offer, and she's desperate to save her marriage. Now, Billy hires a detective to spy on Anne to try to get some dirt on her, and he discovers that Anne is having an affair with a high-profile man. But rather than anchoring him, it excites him that someone so prominent wants to fuck his wife. The next time he sees Anne, they fuck, and he halts the divorce proceedings because he's into her again. Damn, because <laughs> he can't. Because he can't have. Because he's like, he's he can't really have her, and so he wants her. And he's kind of like, oh, he wants to fuck her. Yeah, she must be good. Like, it's so sick. He, he got cuckolded. Uh, he's into it. So Billy lies to his friends, saying Anne wanted too much money for the divorce to happen, so they're just staying together. Um, But she did still have this pull on him. Uh, She did have to agree to a humiliating request, however, and that was that she would accept that Billy's having affairs. She needs to just fucking deal with it. So they're agreeing to stay together as long as she can accept this. Yes. But the fighting between them begins again almost immediately after they reconcile. In September of 1953, William Woodward Sr. dies, and Billy inherits the horse breeding farm, amongst a few other things. He and Anne kind of bond over this area of their life, especially when it comes to their prize-winning horse, Nashua, who is in like all of those Preakness, like whatever, all those fucking big horse races. But their marriage is still tumultuous. It's a pattern of both of them having affairs now, fighting about the fairs, then getting jealous and fucking their brains out <laughs> kind of having a little makeup uh, sex type deal. This is deal. so messy. One time, I'm glad she's fucking too, though, I have to say. Good for her. Like, it's a bad situation, but at least she's not, she's getting some too. That's true. <laughs> um, one time, Anne gets so furious with Billy's antics, she goes to England for a bit and has an open secret affair with Lord William Astor. Elsie is mortified by the gossip she's hearing from her London friends, but it makes Billy rock hard once again. (laughs) He's into it. That would be so nice to have the kind of money where if you're stressed out, you could just fly to Europe. I need to, yeah, I need to get out of here. I need to get out of here for a minute. Watch my kids, (laughs) nanny. (laughs) I'll be gone for weeks. I'm really craving some fish and chips. I need to get out of here and go to Europe. And you just rent a huge flat in the best area with no like worries. That's the dream. Oh my God. So yeah, their marriage is a facade, but Billy is happy to keep it up. Um, But Anne is definitely growing tired of it all and wonders how much longer she can stand it. On October 29th, 1955, Anne and Billy attend a party on Long Island's North Shore to honor the Duke and Duchess of Windsor. Anne sees herself in Wallace Simpson, another brazen woman who infiltrated a world she wasn't supposed to be in and became the subject of gossip and mockery amongst the privileged. 
at the party, a major topic of conversation was a prowler that had been burglarizing North Shore mansions. Billy told another guest that they were all well-prepared if anyone entered their home. He even said that he had taken a pistol in the car with him that night, just in case when they returned from the party, they surprised an intruder. Anne herself told someone at the party that she had taken to sleeping with a shotgun near her in her bedroom. They had separate bedrooms. Um, and making the Woodwards like extra agitated, earlier that evening, their property caretaker told them it appeared that someone had slept in the garage the night before. He had found broken window pane and empty food containers in the garage. Some at the party that night would even say that they heard Billy say that he was determined to take down the prowler himself. The Woodwards left the party about 1 a.m. on October 30th, 1955. They drunkenly argued on the way home. The argument was about Billy's recent trip to Kansas where he was buying a private plane. He jokingly told the maker of the plane that his wife was also manufactured in Kansas. But the plane wasn't the only reason he was in Kansas. While there, Billy also did some digging on his wife, and he found out a lot about Anne's background, much of which she had embellished when they first met. Perhaps the biggest lie being that her father had died in the war, when in reality he was alive, living in poverty in Detroit. Another tidbit he uncovered, Anne had been previously married and she had never gotten officially divorced, (gasps) which needless to say would make their marriage null and void and solve a lot of problems uh, for Billy. Anne denied this, but Billy had some leverage now. Billy threatened Anne, saying he would reveal it all, ruining her reputation if and when they finally decided to divorce, ensuring she got nothing, including custody of the kids. So she better watch it. Anne was horrified by these threats, and many people would later speculate that this was a likely motive for what was to come. They approached their home apprehensively, checking for any signs someone may have entered the home while they were gone. When they entered the house, they did the same. They looked around. Everything seemed all clear. Billy uh, handed Anne a shotgun to take with her to her bedroom, and he took the pistol to his. His instructions to her were to shoot without hesitation. After all, it was self-defense, so there was no reason to worry about possible criminal penalties. Both the Woodwards performed their nightly bedtime routines, and Anne ended up up in bed in her quilted nightgown with her eye mask on, and Billy, as always, got naked and got under the sheets. So they were in for the night. And that's where we'll take a break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Just because the holidays are over doesn't mean I've stopped shopping. I'm still at it. And whenever I'm looking to buy something, I start with Rakuten. Rakuten is the smartest way to save money when you shop because you can earn cash back. You can earn cash back on things like clothing and shoes, toys and games, electronics, and kitchen or home essentials. You are already shopping, so why not get some cash back? There are over 3,700 stores where you can get cash back across every single category, including some of my favorites like Zappos, Sephora, and of course, Wine.com. 
Rakuten has 17 million members who are already saving. In fact, Rakuten members have earned over $4.6 billion in cashback so far. Membership is free and it's easy to sign up. Just get the free Rakuten app or download the free browser extension or both. So start all your shopping at Rakuten.com or get the Rakuten app today and start saving. Your cashback really adds up. While struggling to fall asleep, Anne hears a crash and the low growl of their poodle. She grabs the shotgun, goes to her bedroom door, and opens it. She looks down the long hallway that's barely lit by the moonlight coming in one large window. At the end of the hallway, she sees a shadowy figure. When she sees the figure move, she unloads her shotgun into it. Shaking, she runs to the end of the hallway and screams when she realized the body was naked. At that point, she knew the bloody man was her husband. (gasps) At 2.07 a.m., she picks up the phone, and two phone operators would later say they heard a woman screaming, playhouse, playhouse, incoherently. One of the operators was like, well, clearly some kind of emergency is happening, and connects her to the local police. Still incoherent, she finally manages to tell them her location and then hangs up. The next thing she does is call her lawyer, Saul Rosenblatt. Police finally arrive at 2.24 a.m. to the house. Anne's shrieks and cries could be heard as they entered. Anne immediately confesses, basically, to shooting Billy, claiming she thought it was the prowler. She's so distraught that a doctor is called in to give her a sedative, and she's basically placed on suicide watch in her, ca- in her house, all of the pills taken out of her room. Eventually, D.A. Frank Galata arrives, and he had a pretty bad of opinion of Anne, Um, he was like one of those guys who's always on the golf links with the rich and powerful. So he had heard stories about Ann Woodward. In his opinion, she was a gold digger and a social climber. From the moment he arrived, he was pretty sure Ann murdered her husband. And he would never waver in this opinion for the rest of his days. The following morning, word quickly spread amongst the wealthy elite regarding what had happened. Divorce had been predicted for the Woodwards, but murder was not predicted. One woman who attended the party the night before, this bitch is brazen. She has an impromptu luncheon inviting all the other party guests to come over so they can discuss their theories. (gasps) (laughs) Oh my God. She immediately gets on the phone and is like, let's go. What happened? We need to discuss. What did you hear that night? Who said what? And they all fucking come. And then the cops interview everyone at this party when they hear about it. They kind of show up and like, great, all our witnesses are here. This bitch was living. She was living. And I I wish I knew who it was because it is an insane thing to do. So party guests are shocked when they start hearing statements being released, including from the Duchess of Windsor, who... Who, who has a quote out that says, they were the ideal couple. They're like, no, you dumbass. You don't know what the hell you're talking about. This is crazy. They were a tumultuous couple. Now, people found it hard to believe that Anne didn't recognize the shadowy figure as her husband. Um, so there was a lot of speculation about what really went down. Uh, people were like, he was going to divorce her. So better to be a widow than a divorcee. Um even though the truth was financially, it would have been better for Anne to be the ex-Mrs. Woodward than a widow. Um, as I mentioned, there was all these weird financial things happening. And I think she would have at least gotten a huge settlement if she divorced him. Um, I couldn't quite figure out all the the stuff, the trust and all of that. Um, she did have her defenders, however. 
because there really was a prowler terrorizing this neighborhood or this area. So it was quite possible that uh, Anne did fear for her safety. But then people were like, well, the prowler was a convenient scapegoat that Anne knew about, so she could have used that to kill her husband. People were living for this scandal. It was Scandaval back in the day. <laughs> it was bigger than Scandaval. So I love how rich people act like they're better than us, but they're just as needy for juicy gossip and like scandal as all of us. If not even more so, because they're they because <laughs> these are like um they have time. They have they have a lot of time. Yes, and they're all hiding things. So it's extra juicy when someone who's like presenting this high and mighty act yeah. is actually fucking around or something. Yeah. So it seems like the last person to find out was Elsie. She didn't she didn't find out till like almost 9 p.m. the next day. Wow. She was already grieving the loss of her sister. So when she was told about Billy, people who were with her said she almost seemed like she had no reaction and she immediately went into action protecting her family. She called her lawyer instructing him to take care of her grandsons, which meant get them into her custody ASAP. Elsie was sure that Anne had murdered her son, but justice was not her primary goal. Protecting her family's reputation was. As Anne's meds wore off, she began to talk more, but her story never really deviated from this idea that it was an accidental shooting. She mistook her husband for a prowler. And every time she told it, she became more and more distraught, finally prompting her doctor to say, we need to transport her back to New York City so she can be hospitalized for further treatment. But um, by the time that this happened, the story was front page news. Life magazine had a headline that said, showgirl wife kills air with shotgun blast. At this point, there was really no one else who could speak to what had happened that evening other than Anne. Um, So would anyone ever know what truly went down that night? An unlikely witness came forward at that point, and that witness was the Oyster Bay Cove Prowler himself. (gasps) So that's crazy. Yeah. So shortly after the shooting, a German immigrant named Paul Wurst is arrested for committing the burglaries that had plagued the area for weeks. He almost immediately confesses to it all, even admitting that he had been at the home of the Woodwards the Friday night before the party. Uh, and that he did break into the garage and ate the canned food that was left behind. But he was adamant that he was not there on Saturday night, early Sunday morning when the shooting took place. Shortly after that confession, though, Worth once again asked to speak to the investigator. He said he had initially lied because he didn't want to get wrapped up into the scandal, and now he wanted to tell the whole truth. On October 29th, he said he was casing the Woodward's home when he saw the couple arrive back from the party. He watched as the lights went on. He waited for them to get ready for bed and watched the house fall dark, giving them a little time to fall asleep before he attempted to enter. Then he put his plan into place. He climbed a tree to reach a second-level balcony, and while climbing his this tree, a large branch broke off and made this loud thud when it hit the ground. He paused for a bit to see if any lights went on, but when it seemed like no one had heard him, he continued up, reaching the balcony, and he opened the glass door that was unlocked. When he opened it, though, when he opened it, though, the drapes kind of, these long drapes were there, and they kind of blew into the doorway because of the air, and he kind of stumbled on these, and the butt of his rifle hit the glass door, breaking a panel. At that moment, he heard the dog growling, And several minutes later, he heard the gunshot, the sound of the gunshot. Damn. So he 
proceeds to like obviously climb down and he fucking hides like in the garage. So he even sees like the police come because he's too scared to fucking go anywhere. Now, this confession basically seems to confirm Anne's stories that she heard an intruder, the dog growled, she came out and shot at a shadowy figure. But many people were like, this is a little too convenient. And it they is, <laughs> it is wild. And they accused Worths of being bought off by people in Anne's camp, including Elsie, who was not protecting Anne, but protecting Billy's legacy at this point. She knew he had numerous secrets, including physically abusing Anne, numerous affairs with both sexes, a pornography addiction, he had hired sex workers, and in her mind, private things needed to save private, and those things would come out in a trial for sure if it went there. What does a porn addiction look like in 1953? Does he just have like stacks of <laughs> stacks of magazines? Magazines are those old reel-to-reels where it's just a woman in a bikini. Getting spanked. Like a, <laughs> getting spanked by an old man, and it's not even real. She's just like, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> and there's no, wor- there's no like sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have no idea, but yeah. I'm just curious. Like, I guess someone- it's magazines mostly, probably, but he probably had the movies. I'm sure he had the movies. I mean, some of them are like more graphic nudity. Like, I've seen some of those old, same porny movies. Um, they're kind of cool. Um, so, she doesn't want this to go to trial, and a grand jury is set to be convened at the end of November 1955. Now, at this point, Elsie finally goes to see Anne in the hospital. She tells her that everyone believed Anne intentionally killed Billy. She believed that Anne intentionally killed Billy, but she was willing to give it a pass. Uh, she Anne began to protest when she said that she killed Billy, and and Elsie literally gave her the hand. She's like, shh, shh, shh. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and was like, no, I didn't kill. And, and, and like Elsie shut her down. Yeah, she's like, I'll make it go away if you agree to give me the children. Wow. And seemed hesitant, um, and she's like, look, I'm gonna you know send the boys to a boarding school in Switzerland. I'm not gonna raise them either. I just don't want you to have them at all. Um, she informed Anne that the will had never been changed and never revised after that first initial divorce thing. So she had really limited options, uh, and she agreed to it. She wanted out, and just weeks after losing their dad, these poor boys were sent away from the only people that they had ever known and had left. Wow. So Anne takes the stand at the grand jury, and by all accounts, she gives a really powerful performance Uh, opinion varies in the authenticity of the performance, but the grand jury buys it and they vote not to indict Anne saying that the event was an accident. Honestly, I believe her at this point in the story. I don't know. I don't know the story, but I believe her. (laughs) She's, she seems very authentic. <laughs> so leaving the courtroom, reporters surround Anne to get a statement. And one reporter asks her how she felt now that she had been vindicated. And she said, I will never recover. Which wow. is like really sad. It's, she got, she lost. Like even though she didn't get indicted, she lost the game with Elsie, right? Like Elsie won. She, yeah. And and she, it's a traumatic experience. Oh, totally. So socially... You know, she was done too. Like in the eyes of everyone who ran in her circle, she was guilty. Um, she was completely ostracized by that set. And she, you know, in their opinion, a self-made widow deserved no pity. Although she it's was too bad John Waters wasn't around 
Yeah, because he would have taken her <laughs> under his wing. He would have put her in his movies. Yeah. She would have had a starring role. Um, but Anne was like, honestly, a little bit of a hustler. She's like, I'm going to make a comeback. She really thought she was going to like get back in. Good for her. Yeah. But Elsie, she had to squash that as well. See, she, she suggested it might be best for Anne to go mourn in Europe for a period of no fewer than four years. <laughs> a very specific request. <laughs> Uh, if she did, she would not be removed from her children's trust. So once again, Anne had no choice but to agree. And now Elsie was the only Mrs. Woodward in New York City. For the next two decades, Anne lived a life of modest luxury, albeit alone and in misery. But in 1975, the story of the murder gained some new traction when Truman Capote decided it would be a major part of his next book. So Truman Capote was... I mean, if you don't know, one of the most famous literary figures in the world, he wrote classic books such as Breakfast at Tiffany's at that point. He had leveraged his literary fame into sort of a cultural celebrity, and he really integrated himself into New York's high society, just like Anne had done basically years, decades earlier. Um, unlike Anne, Truman was a highly coveted guest and was invited to almost everything. He was a real get if you had him at your dinner party or event. Um, a New York Times article in 1968 said, there's a little secret to charity, ben- charity benefits these days. It's called Truman Capote, a 64-inch, 136-pound magnet, particularly attractive to the gilded people who count when it comes to fashionable fundraising. So everyone wanted this guy. But he had an ulterior motive moving in these circles. Yes, he loved the attention and proximity to outlandish wealth, but he also spent these years gathering gossip about the world's stuffiest and richest people. He was fascinated by the secret world and planned on making it the topic of his like magnum opus. Perhaps no story captivated Truman as much as the story of Anne Woodward, and he had been collecting gossip for 20 years about Anne and planned on making her the basis for one of the book's main characters. Truman thought this book would be like his like biggest achievement ever, the most provocative thing he had ever done. But he had to put the book on hold um, because the story for In Cold Blood kind of dropped in his lap. He saw this news article and immediately went to Kansas to kind of um, research In Cold Blood, which was published in 1966. And obviously that is a true crime classic. Yeah. Like it really took him up an, a huge level. Uh, he was like in the stratosphere as far as authors go during that point. And not only was that the sort of apex of his fame and fortune, um, this is followed by his famous black and white ball, which is one of the hugest events of the decade in high society. I'm always so jealous. I want to go so bad. Same. Um, so once those two kind of things were over, he moves back to finishing his high society book, and it's pretty much all downhill from that point for for poor Truman. Now, he returns to writing this book, which is now called Answered Prayers, and he quickly got a high-paying book deal for this. So it began this series of having deadlines, not being met. Then the deal would go fall through. Then he would get another huge deal, and another deadline would be set. And the manuscript just wasn't showing up. It really became this albatross around his neck. He just had too much information. He had 
hundreds of chapters and stories written, little vignettes, like just so much information, but he could not shape it and into anything resembling a novel. This was like made even more difficult by the fact that he was an alcoholic yeah. and a drug addict. That didn't help matters. So his struggles with writing really seeped into his social life as well. Um, while he was once this darling of high society, the women he once charmed were now sensing more bitterness in his gossip. They worried, like, what is he saying about me behind my back? <laughs> He's saying this about everyone else. And he had gone from kind of fun to, like, too cunty. So for those people... <laughs> A little too cunty. But not not serving cunty. No. So for those people, the upcoming answered prayers began to seem like a threat. They were like, what's in this book? And Truman kind of amped that mood up. He's yeah. like, yeah, it is a threat. So he has an interview in People magazine about the book. In the interview, he describes the book at, as there's the handle, the trigger, the barrel, and finally the bullet. And when that bullet is fired from the gun, it's going to come out with a speed and power like you've never seen. Wham! And he also tells People magazine that it's filled with thinly disguised characters, people he knows in real life. He was going to assassinate them all, his pen, the gun. And the gun was very quickly pointed at Anne. When Capote found out that Anne would be visiting New York City in 1975, he decided it was the perfect time to publish an excerpt from the book in Ladies Home Journal. They agreed to publish it, but once they read the story that was titled La Côte Basque 1965, they decided it was a little too risque because the character based on Anne goes to France in, in the book at some point and is described by the men of France as Madame Marmalade because of a sexual trick she does with her tongue and jam. What's the trick? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm guessing it's something with a blowjob, right? Like she slathers their dick with marmalade. She slathers their dick with marmalade and gives them a marmalade blowjob. Like a sloppy BJ. A sloppy marmalade <laughs> sloppy BJ. Toppy. A sloppy toppy. That's her signature move. She should have done that in the UK. Or maybe, <laughs> or she spreads marmalade all over her pussy. Ooh. And then she's like, who wants a taste of my jam? Yeah. Stick in your thumb, pull out a plum. Ugh. <laughs> Most vulgar nursery rhyme. <laughs> By the way, Lakota Basque is a restaurant in New York City at the time, like a very fancy restaurant. So his editor warns Truman, like, maybe you should just let it go and not publish this, uh, which was chapter five of Answered Prayers. But then Esquire agrees to publish it, and Truman's like, hell yeah, let's go. Yeah. So Anne's few remaining friends in New York call her as soon as they hear about this character who's named Anne Hopkins in the book. Anne Hopkins is described as always a tramp, white trash slut, and a trigger-happy gold digger. Damn. I like always a tramp. <laughs> That's good merch. <laughs> <laughs> um, who killed her husband because she had found out he had found out about her bigamy. Anne couldn't understand why Truman hated her so much. Um, but the truth is she reminded him of himself and he low-key hated himself. Like he was kind of felt like a fraud. So the impending publication of this story was the talk of New York and decides she needs to be far away when it finally drops and makes plans to return to Europe as soon as possible. As the date grew nearer and she was still in New York, New York City, her anxiety really exploded. One day in October of 1975, she puts on a full face of makeup, her favorite dress, gets into bed and takes a cyanide pill. <gasps> yeah. So 
Anne dies, obviously. You don't recover from that. When Elsie hears the news of Anne's suicide, she says, that's that. She shot my son and Truman just murdered her. And so now I suppose we don't have to worry about that anymore. What? She like says that to the paper. (laughs) That's that? That's that. Yeah, it's all done. This that little chapter's done with. That's crazy. Yeah. Where are her sons? I think they're still in Europe. Like or they're just gallivanting around like cuz they're older. They're older now, so right. I don't think I they might be back in New York. Well, I'll get to it. So Truman seems to feel no guilt about it at all saying um a writer's only obligation is to himself. So a year after Anne dies, her younger son Jamie who had been just been serving in Vietnam. Um, He suffers from extreme PTSD. He has a drug addiction as well. And when he comes home from the war, he jumps from a building. Oh my God. So he, he dies just a year later. The oldest son, Woody fights to avoid the seeming family curse. He becomes a successful journalist. He gets married. He becomes a father, but depression eventually takes over his life as well. And in 1999, he steps out his kitchen window, falling 14 floors to his death. Oh, my God. So both sons also take their own lives. That's so sad. Very sad. So Anne's suicide was only the beginning of the fallout that happened due to the publishing of Lakota Bass 1965. Not that it excuses um, what he did, but Anne was never close to Truman. So while morally questionable, obviously, there was no betrayal there. But there was with some of the other women who he was actually close friends with, who he fucking drags in this book. These were his beautiful swans, as he called them. Society women like Babe Paley, CZ Guest, Slim Keith, Pamela Churchill, and Lee Radziwell. Capote was drawn to these women he called his swans because they reminded him of his own mother, who had abandoned him as a boy to reinvent herself in New York. Uh, she never loved him, but these women did until they didn't. I mean, it's very like, if you know, like Breakfast at Tiffany's, it's a very, that woman is also kind of based on his mom, yeah, uh, Holly Golightly. So he definitely was struggling with this kind of thing his whole life. It was Truman's, um, the book, the story is basically Truman's version of a lunch with Slim. They're in this fancy rest- restaurant and this is really what ends it all for Truman. Uh, even today, this story is considered like shockingly bitchy. Yeah. Like they're like, it is, people think of it sometimes as the meanest short story ever written. Wow. Uh, it is online, but you need an Esquire subscription to get it. Unless, I think they do eventually release a book version, but I don't, it's not his version. Uh, anyway, when confronted about the story pre publishing, uh, by a, like a writer friend of his, Truman says people aren't going to be happy. Oh, the friend says people aren't going to be happy with this Truman, and he's like, "Nah, they're too dumb. They won't know who they are." And he was absolutely wrong <laughs> because everyone knew who everyone was. So after this story was released, all of his women knew exactly what they had thought of him, what he thought of them. They right. didn't really know before. So as I mentioned, this story is basically a lunch with a character based on Truman and a character based on Slim. The Slim character gets drunk at the restaurant Lakota Basque and unloads on everyone in their social circle. The um, Slim character nonchalantly mentions being raped by Joe Kennedy, which is, if that's something that is true, that Slim revealed to Truman is like a crazy thing to reveal in that way in a fucking short story. Yeah. Uh, obviously. He also goes off on Gloria Vanderbilt. 
Gloria reads the story and she's like, the next time I see Truman Capote, I'm going to spit in his face. Wow. And even Anderson Cooper, who is Gloria Vanderbilt's son, which is always crazy to me, he talks about it even today saying, Truman really hurt my mom. (laughs) Wow. So it really hurt these women. Yeah. But the two biggest... people who are mentioned in this story are obviously characters based on Anne Woodward and his closest, closest, closest friend, Babe Paley. Um, obviously, the Anne Woodward section is about, you know, that everyone thinks she's guilty and how it really it was the mother-in-law who paid the police off to drop it. Um, and no one probably would have cared if it was just him dunking on Anne Woodward. But going after Babe Haley, who was literally the queen of New York City society at that time, was a bridge too far. So this book is a collection of stories involving these various women. Yes. But this particular story is just one chapter. And this is the story that was published in Esquire. Yes. So, But it involves several women. Yes. Because she's basically going off. She's going off about all these women. <laughs> she's going Slim. off at lunch yes. about this, all these women. So... In the story about Babe Paley, who at the time was married to a really wealthy man named William Paley, the slim character says, the only thing he asked me to never repeat was the business about the governor's wife. Now, the governor's wife was literally believed to be Mary Rockefeller, Nelson Rockefeller's wife. Uh, they were He was the governor of New York at the time. And she goes on to describe... Uh, Mary Rockefeller as a cretinous Protestant, size 40, who wears low-heeled shoes and lavender water. Not the low-heeled shoes. <laughs> so, so you know, they think she's frumpy. <laughs> uh, she, in, the, in her opinion, the only reason this guy goes after the governor's wife is because she theorizes in the book that he was raging against wasp society because <laughs> William Paley is Jewish. So he's like, he was trying to get at the wasps who always looked down on him. So he wanted to fuck the governor's wife. She said, revenge himself on that smug hog bottom and make her sweat and squeal and call him daddy. <laughs> this Damn. is in the book that got po- like in the story. Can you imagine seeing something published like nowadays, like whatever. Yeah. But this was fucking scandalous language to be hearing. Now, in the story, she goes on to say that they had sex at the apartment at the Pierre. The Paleys lived in the St. Regis, so that was tracking with that. Um, and she even describes a de- in detail that really shocked everyone. Once they fought, once once the William Haley character fucks the governor's wife, he's horrified to see that she left a huge menstrual stain on the blood sheets. The sheets were bloodied the size of Brazil. <laughs> like there was a menstrual <laughs> menstrual stain the size of Brazil. Then she describes how he got on his knees having to scrub the sheets in the tub before Babe got home. Oh. And she described him as flogging away like a Spanish peasant on the side of a stream. <laughs> oh my God. This is just like incredibly humiliating stuff. Now, Babe never knew about this affair or rumors of the affair. The first time she sees it is when she reads the story. At the time she reads the story in 1975, she's dying of terminal lung cancer and her best friend has just humiliated her in a major publication like this. She's heartbroken and her husband- Did she really have the affair? Yes, he did. He was having numerous affairs, but he really did Oh, lo- right. That's her husband, Babe, yeah. Babe Paley's... That's the, the woman. The woman, the, yeah. hu- the wife. In so this. the husband is like enraged by this, not because he got busted, but just because of what he did to Babe more. Like, I mean, obviously all these rich guys are fucking people 
Um, but Babe just didn't know about this big one. So Babe's married to William Paley? Yes. Okay. So he's enraged, and Truman actually calls him, and he's like, what do you think of the story? And Bill Paley, I'm sorry, William Paley is just like, I started at Truman, but I fell asleep. Then a terrible thing happened. The magazine was thrown away. Ooh. So this is like a devastating blow to a narcissist like Truman Capote. He's like, I can mail you a copy. And he's like, I'm a little preoccupied right now. My wife is very ill. And Capote took that term, that term very seriously. My wife he felt like that was the cutoff because he's not even referring to her as babe to me anymore. I don't even get to hear her name. Right. Uh, so you're done. He's done. Uh, after that, he becomes even more like upset. He realizes he's completely out. No one of note will fucking see him. Truman. The, Truman. The only person who will is Andy Warhol, who he parties with at Studio 54 eventually. Uh, he really falls in love with cocaine at this point, which is like the last thing he needs to be adding to his repertoire. <laughs> um, but he's just fucking drinking a ton. He still has this grudge against everyone for excommunicating him. He's like, what did they expect? Like, I'm a writer. And he kind of feels like he got like, they didn't hold up their end of the bargain. He's like, I amused you and pressed you at your parties shared my intellect and you know I thought the deal was I could take what I wanted and use it in my book. Bail um Babe Paley dies on July 6, 1978. Uh obviously Truman is not invited to the funeral and they they never spoke again after that article was published and he was upset about it. He dies in 1984 of liver failure at the age of 59. Uh, and he kind of has a similar tragic trajectory as Anne Woodward. They both worked their way up into this upper echelon of society. They have this massive like fall, and then they spend the rest of their years alone in misery and then dying tragically. If, if like Elsie said, Anne killed Woodward and Compote is the one who killed Anne, then Truman's need to take down Anne and drag those he was friends with was what ended him as well, even if it happened many years later. This story is eventually included. After Truman dies, they kind of try to put this book together. Uh, so it is published three years after his death. Uh, in the first chapter, it's called Unspoiled Monsters. Um, the unnamed narrator eviscerates a famous writer who has become a failure and a drunk and is eaten up by cancer. And everyone's like, that's Truman truthfully talking about himself in the book. He says, what I thought was... Here's a dumpy little guy with a dramatic mind who, like one of his own heroines, seeks attention and sympathy by serving up half-believed lies to total strangers. Strangers because he has no friends. Damn. Yeah. When Truman dies, he dies in the home of Johnny Carson's widow, Joanne Carson, who was like one of his last friends. Um, and she said that his last words, in addition to speaking of his mother, uh, his last words that he uttered were beautiful babe and answered prayers. Wow. So that's the story, the conclusion. What <laughs> the a wild Woodward. what a wild story, Desi. And obviously we will be doing an episode on Truman Capote oh my God. at some point. Because that's gonna be a I had to like cut off so much stuff because I was like, I can't go down this road, well, even we though it's save all interesting. It. Yeah. We got to save it for the eventual multi-part episode, I assume. Yeah, because his life is crazy. Like, yeah, but yeah, there was so much stuff where I was like, ah, like I want to talk about it, but I just have to save it because right. I need to just focus on this. But yeah, what a what a mess. 
What a total mess. I just, the fallout from that story is just fucking wild. So like, do you believe Anne? I do. I do. I believe her. Because I think it's completely plausible. And if that was her scheme to use that, then good for her. Because she did a good, she, she really thought it through. Like, that's a perfect murder then. Like, she happened to have these prowlers happening. Yeah, because she couldn't plan that. Yeah. Like, if she was like, I'm going to use this opportunity, then that is more savvy than a lot of people would be. Like, uh, I don't know what the deal is. I, I believe her. It makes sense. I Obviously, she had really bad things happening in, in this marriage. This husband was abusive to her. Yeah. But I, her story makes sense to me. I think it makes sense, and it's just sad. Yeah. That it like basically ruined her life. Hers is a very sad story. Yes. Well, so. we will post some pictures on our Instagram, and we will be also posting a new after show on our Patreon. You can go listen to after show number 78 we posted pretty recently is up there. And anything else? We're also posting a Mysteries and Macabre. We're at the $10 level. At the $10 level, you can get access to an all-new Mysteries and the Macabre episode where we go into strange and unusual mysteries, crime stories that don't fit the parameters of Hollywood and Los Angeles and famous people. Basically stories that we would like to do but aren't suitable for the main show. Yeah. But those are all available on Patreon, and we have, we have a we have, bunch. We have a bunch. What's your favorite mysteries in the macabre we've done? Um, damn, I really like the one I did a few months ago about the scandal in the UK mm. with that woman who kidnapped the Mormon. Yeah, that was a crazy story. <laughs> That's a crazy one. That's a crazy story. The mangled. What is it like? The manacled Mormon story. Yeah. What's mm. yours? Well, the first one that came up to mind was like um those brothers those twin brothers oh my god that was a long time ago i did that one <laughs> but that was a weird story no that one's really good that's like an older one it's an, what's the title i think are they like the bondurant brothers yes is that like their that. name yeah yeah that was like from 2019 2018 right maybe there's a lot of good stories because they're all they're all super wild the Usually. first Mysteries and the Macabre we ever did about Carl Tanzler, that one was crazy. Oh, yeah. We might have actually posted that to our main feed at some point. I think so. Just to give you a little preview, I really liked the um, when we went and we discussed the 2016 Clown Panic. Right. There's just a lot of fun. I mean, I hate fun. That might, might not well, be Well, some the right of them word. are more fun than others. Some of them are fun, and some, some of, of them, them are, are just like, wow. Some, That's some, wild. Well, <laughs> and some of them are really scary. Yeah, there's so a lot if of you scary like ones. fun, scary, and wow, yeah, you'll love our series "Mysteries and the Macabre." Available at Patreon.com/slash Hollywood Crime Scene at the ten dollar tier. And if you like gross and wow and fun, then you'll love all the content we have provided at the five dollar tier. Yeah, and if you subscribe to the ten dollar tier, you get all of that as well. You get everything. Yeah, you get everything. Anyway. Cool. Thank you. We'll see you later. Bye. Bye.